Hey Northridge, welcome to A Little Better, where our goal is to know God better and to do better so that we can be a little better. everyone and welcome back to A Little Better. Thanks for listening in again. My name is Aaron Hickson. I'm the Henrietta Campus Pastor and I'm excited to have Drew on the podcast back with us. The OGs rolling back in and this is a cool, this is a cool moment. I just got to say because it was the first week of August last summer where we started this podcast as an experiment with the Verified series with our campus pastors. And uh, so it's now been officially running for a year. I don't know if we should be throwing a party, Drew. Um, what's your take on this? I mean, I'm always in for a party. Let's <laughs> let's let's light up some candles and get a cake and let's eat it. Okay. Or the other thing we could do is hold a funeral for the amount of time we've wasted doing this podcast. That's the other option. Hey, uh, I mean, we've gone from a crappy dungeon basement to you know shooting the the podcast like from different homes and now we're in different homes on video so i mean we're That's pretty true. brilliant in a year we've we've navigated some crazy stuff so navigated some tensions and gone considerably down uh, throughout the entire time in uh, audio quality it just keeps getting worse and worse <laughs> Oh, we have but at least it's on, it's yeah, video. It's on video now, which video reminds me here, man. I got to say something. There's You brought it up on Sunday, but the hair, man, it's getting long. It's getting long. There's I mean, a lot you, of curls. Yo, look at this. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, All right. There we go. The hat's going back on. I'm serious. One of these weeks, you're going to show up on a Sunday with it back in a ponytail. I don't know what I'm going to do then. <laughs> Honestly, I, there's some of me that is like, I should cut it. And then Ashley's like, no, I like the curls. I like, I like something different. And so, Hey, Dude. listen, I, I don't care what y'all think. As long as my wife is happy, we're good. I was going to say happy wife, happy life. We've got, you, you should know where your priorities are here when it comes to this stuff. Um, but actually for our observational, uh, what people who are very observational that watch either the podcast or, I mean, Really, you put yourself in front of our people on video for 25 minutes a week, every week. So um, it probably doesn't take too much observation to have noticed that there's a new addition to your right forearm that was not there at one time. So let's see it. Let's see it. We got a tattoo. Going. I'm not talking about the bracelet. I'm talking about the tattoo. So yeah, tell us the story on this tattoo. What does it say? What does it mean? Uh so I got my tattoo um, right after my dad died. Um, my family was sitting around, my siblings, so me, my brother Adam and Nicole, we're all like, you know, obviously we're, you know, grieving and stuff. We're like, we want, we want to remember dad. And so um, Jesus prays to his father and he says the words Abba, which mean daddy, father, you know, really intimate moment with him and his dad. And so we all got Abba written on different parts of our body, different styles and a couple of different verses on there. And so that's what I did. It's right in a place where I can see it every day. It reminds me uh, twofold. One of my relationship with my dad and uh, secondly, my relationship with my heavenly father. So I got yeah. an earthly father and a heavenly father and it's just a good reminder for me. So I love it. Cool, man. I don't know that first, first tattoo. Like, and listen, I don't like needles. I'm a baby. Like I, these people who have sleeves, like you are way more stronger than I am. I was like, Oh, help me, help me. It's over. They're like, really dude. 
really? <laughs> so yeah. So it might be your last tattoo. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> I might even it up. I don't know. I might get one here, but it's gonna it's gonna take some confidence and some strength to come back. You know. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, so dude, talk to me about Sunday, man. That was a pretty crazy day. Oh man, it was awesome. Uh, I don't know how you felt, but I was pumped. One, I'm just a way better communicator when there are people in the room to grunt, moan, talk to me, say amen, say come on. I mean, I'm the type of guy who likes, you know, bodies and, and people talking to me while I preach. And so, oh, I felt so good. The energy was high. People were clapping. Oh, it was so exciting. I mean, I just, I, I came home and I was like, one, preaching twice versus preaching one, there's a big difference. And two, I was just like, this is a great day. Great day. Mm-hmm. How'd it go in Webster? Yeah, I mean, I I was honored to be there on the very first Sunday at, at the new Webster campus. And it was great. I mean, the teams there were awesome and, you know, ready to go in so many ways. And I'm sure there's a million little glitches, some of which I didn't even notice that they're going to be working on. And every team has ways that they feel like things need to improve. But overall, I mean, Lots of people, lots of energy. I got to see some hen fam, um, which I loved being able to do. And for those who are, you know, were ready to make it out again. And so, yeah, it was a cool Sunday. Lots of, lots of masks. I don't, I don't know how it went in Rochester. In some ways, you and I are about to basically just do service review right now. But um, I felt like, you know, mask compliance was good. There, it was, we didn't have any like people we had to usher out of the building. There was no incident like you keep seeing on the news of people like getting in fights or something. There was nothing like that. And, um, you know, people were, were good about it. We made an announcement right in the welcome about people, you know, keep your mask on for the entire time. And I think there's some confusion. Cause like when you go to a restaurant right now, like you wear your mask and then when you get to the seat, you can take it off or whatever. So I'm sure some people were just confused. And I, I said like, Hey, you please, please keep your mask on for the entirety of your time. And you could see people like, oops, <laughs> like putting it back on, which was funny, you know, like I get it. It's honestly, it's a habit. Like it's a hard habit to break, which is why I wear the kind of mask that I do. That's like one of those like neck warmers that you pull over your face. Cause that way I'm just not even tempted to take it off because it's just like a fixture on your face. Cause it's just, it's easy to forget. I don't know. Turtleneck. We saw on Sunday, remember you preached with it? Like a, it's a, it's an adjustable turtleneck. So you know, who wears a turtleneck? I'm, I'm very fashionable. I'm very fashionable. And so like one of the things I'm always looking for is ways to be more fashionable. So turtlenecks with t-shirts are a very cool feature that a lot of people are going to be into these days. So. <laughs> you know, I think the oh, it looks is, like so. it's crazy, um, you know, how people, how far people take masks. I just, I told Rochester, the Rochester campus, this in my closing comments. I was like, guys, just be wearing your mask as an act of worship. Like, honestly, that's how I view it. It's like, I don't want to wear a mask. There's nothing, I, I'm not a fear-based guy. And so I'm usually the guy who's breaking the rules. And so um, I've just come to this conclusion where I'm going to put somebody else's needs in front of mine. And I, I'm going to do it out of an act of worship to please God and love my neighbor and care for people. And so if it means I got to wear a mask, I got to wear a mask. I sang every song in a mask. I sang three three sets. So I, did, I sang in my mask in run-throughs. I sang in my mask during first service and in my mask and second service. And I was fine. It was totally great. I sing so hard. I might blow a hole through my mask. You know, I'm just going that strong because I was so excited to sing with other people, but um, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal. Let's not make it, you know, political. Let's just, let's just love people and and throw it on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, just for the record, I don't know a lot about masks, but if you blow a hole through it while you're singing, I think you should get a new one. Just side note. (laughs) Oh, I, by the way, I am totally committed 
to wearing a face shield one of these weeks because I think those that is the ultimate fashion expression. And when you see me on the stage holding a microphone, wearing a full-on plastic face shield, you're going to know, like, everyone's going to be jealous. I think. Well, when that front row gets a little bit closer, when we're allowed mm-hmm. to bring it a little bit closer, I would have to wear a face shield because I don't know if you saw Sunday. There was some spit flying from, from me. I thought it was fire. Uh, it was mostly spit, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see you in a face shield with the curls popping out. That's That sounds like something I'd like to see. I don't see. think the face shield could handle the curls. It's like vines growing out. Oh man. So how do we do overall, like, uh, with attendance and all that kind of stuff, obviously it's not just about numbers, but it, this is one of those seasons where it's actually especially important how many people came because of the regulations that we have to hold to and percentage of building occupancy and all that kind of stuff. So we've done a ton of research, I know on other churches nationwide and in our area and what their return rate has been and how that impacts, um, you know, the everything of what we're doing, how many services we need and all that kind of stuff. So what did it look like from this past weekend? Yeah. So I was actually surprised at how many people came out. I was mm-hmm. very excited. We had 48% of our church according to quarter one and according to national averages, about 30% are coming back. Now it could be like just the excitement and maybe people kind of slowly stay back at their house. And I I don't know what next week's going to look like, but it was an exciting number. It felt great in the room. I will say um, we were kind of at the place where it was getting, it was getting full. And so we might have to a couple weeks down the the road, launch a a third service to kind of just keep that safety net um, good, according to the government. I don't know what that looks like. Um, And I'm not really worried about that. I'm going to just rejoice in who came, but it was, we we felt really good with who came back and, um, I'm excited to build off of th- this last Sunday. Awesome. No, that's great. So, um, yeah, one of the ways I know that when the strategy that went into the the number of chairs in the auditorium was we know what the government will allow us to have in that room. And by only putting that many chairs out, we know that there's no way we could ever go over the total number of people in the room. So that's step one. But when you combine that we only have as many chairs as we're allowed to have, and you add social distancing, there's going to be even fewer than that. So we feel really confident that in any given service, we'll never put more people in that room than we're allowed to have. And we had overflow spaces in both um, in uh, both campuses. So I do I I think that that's a really good plan. Just of saying like we have a hard cap of like physically how many chairs are in the room, and that keeps us under the government mandate. And then once you add social distancing, we're well under the threshold. So I love that conservative approach and making sure that we can. Um, you know, do our best to both honor uh, Caesar where we can, but then also make sure that we're committed to, you know, um, getting our people together. Um, so anyway, good, good stuff. On Sunday, you talked about uh, David and Goliath, man. Um, tell me a little bit about where this message came from, from your heart. I know we write so far in advance that uh, oftentimes it's, you know, we'll have a planning meeting a year ahead and then a message lands where it does. This was not that way at all because we didn't have a message until I'm going to say, you know, three weeks before you preach it or something. It was, and in, and in your world, that's like super last minute. So <laughs> tell me about where this message came from. Uh, I would just say really my relationship with God and what we were walking through in our culture and just all the tensions that I was facing. And, you know, honestly, my personal time with God and all of those things kind of came together. And I was like, man, I really feel like, this, this would be not, not only relevant, but like it would, 
kind of do what I said, like a, a story that's thousands of years ago will like kind of collide with our culture right now. And so mm-hmm. um, it just kind of came together and I wasn't even supposed to preach on August 9th. So normally right. I give, you know, guys like you, campus pastors, a chance to uh, grow influence and, and just communicate God's word as a pastor. And so um, during the, those summer months to give me a break and, you know, obviously we were coming back and I was like, I, I just felt like it was, it was right. So yeah, I just came from God speaking to me and then me speaking to people. So love it. Great. And the, the big idea there was the fact that, um, every, with every problem or giant we encounter in our life, the gospel is the ultimate solution. You know, the, um, it, it won't cure COVID-19, but that's, we have bigger problems, you know what I mean? And, and the gospel is the ultimate solution. So, um, one, I thought kind of like an interesting thought experiment that we could do would be to say, like, you, you talked about, uh, the three different giants, you know, and I don't know, by the way, who cut those out or whatever, if that was with a jigsaw, I'm impressed with Nate whoever ben, cut that out. Nate Bennett worked really hard on those. Um, he's our worship pastor and, you know, shout out to Nate. He worked really hard last minute with everything going on, building up to grand opening. And he did, I mean, those giants were awesome. They, they looked yeah. so backdrop they made me look small it's the only thing i didn't like about them <laughs> well and drew i, I uh, wanted to drop I one one of those rocks like i just wanted to zing one right through the giant's forehead like it took everything i had to throw those rocks softly i just wanted to, like i played baseball watch this i probably would have missed and hit a light though no no bro it would have bounced right off there's no way you're throwing a rock through quarter inch plywood it would have rock would have come right back and sunk into your forehead and then somebody <laughs> else would have been preaching oh my goodness so be a YouTube uh, artist, man. yeah <laughs> pastor's video goes viral but not for the reason you think <laughs> oh my word but okay yeah so Wow, this chair is so creaky. I'm sorry for our listeners right now. That was terrible. Um, I want an interesting thought experiment. I thought was to talk about gospel implications. One of the giants had, you know, a personal challenge, and you used an illustration of debt. And so I thought, let's talk about that. Like your four, the four ways to lead with the gospel that you mentioned were to believe in your own sinfulness. These are in my words: believe in your own sinfulness, depend on God alone for the you know solution, keep people and your ultimate need in mind, and then bring a slingshot. Those were the four, um, I don't know, steps or whatever. So let's just walk it through. Let's say I'm a dude in deep debt. I would like the record to show by God's grace, we got good financial counseling early in our life. So we're not in deep debt because <laughs> otherwise it's going to sound like I'm asking for a like, friend. Like, asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so let's just say I'm in deep debt. And I'm saying, I feel so overwhelmed. I've tried to, you know, curb my spending or whatever, but I just can't do it. And I'm struggling with my finances. Um, how does the gospel have implications? So let's start with that first step. How does believing in my own sinfulness, for one, how is that a gospel implication? And two, how does that impact my view of debt? Yeah, one, the reason why it's an implication is because the reason why Jesus had to come and the gospel came about is because of sin. You know, that was the major barrier between us and God. And Jesus was the only solution. And what I think believing in your own sinfulness does in dealing with that is it causes you to look at yourself first. And so when usually this isn't always the case, but I would say 99.9% of the time when someone finds themselves in debt, it's usually a envy or jealousy problem. Like I, or a covetousness. like I want something that I can't afford and I'm willing to 
do something not smart to do it. And so materialism, whatever you, so you look at yourself and you say, Hey, I, I gotta, I gotta fix that issue in my heart first before I can even think about stopping and getting out of debt. Like, so it's, it's, it's this cause to look at like, man, do I have a problem with things that I really want that I can't afford where I'm, I'm just not content with what I have. And so I think there's a lot of like sinful things that can live inside of us that we might not see or understand. And until we fix that, the problem's not going to go away at all. I love that. So that's believing in your own sinfulness. The next step for me is you're saying depend on God alone. So how, when it comes to debt, how am I believing in God alone? So I I think one, you know, this is the balance. Okay. Okay. So like, we're going to get to step four, which is like, bring your slingshot, but there's this balance between, you know, banking on God to work in you. And that's kind of where that's that, that sin part comes in. Like you got a sin problem and you recognize you can't defeat your sin apart from God. And so you got to trust in God. So maybe it's uh, ask for forgiveness for God to heal you of some of those things that are inside of you that you can't even see. And so you got to bank on God's power to heal the brokenness inside of you. So when you get to part four, bring your own slingshot, you can start doing some of the steps that are practical in the Bible to get out of debt. So then keeping that's depending on God alone, which kind of obviously worked with point four, but point three was keep your ultimate need in mind. Um, what, how does, how does that work with that? So keep the ultimate need. Like one, I can have everything in life, everything the world has to offer me and still miss out on the thing that I need the most, which is a, a solution to my sin. And ultimately I can have the greatest 80 years here on earth. And then when I die, eternity is going to be a long time. And so mm. when we look at someone who is in debt, we think, oh, well, they got cool stuff. They're, they're okay. I mean, they, that stuff will take care of itself. But like, ultimately, all they're doing is collecting material things that the Bible says, you know, collect moth and dust and, and destroy. And it's a, it says hide treasures in heaven. And so I think there's, we, we have to look at people and say, man, they need to have a future that's secure, not here on earth right now. And so we need to be reminded that, man, we can make people's lives better on earth and watch them spend eternity in hell. Like that's the greatest thing we have to tackle and see first. Mm -hmm. So for me, as somebody trying to get out of debt, what does that look like? How does keeping my ultimate need play into my debt reduction plan? I think it helps you realize it's not about here and now. So mm. I, I would much rather suffer here and now and not have anything and have treasures in heaven. So like it, it changes your perspective on what you need and what you don't need. It changes your perspective on should I buy this or shouldn't I buy this because I can't afford it. Like I don't need the things of this world because I have treasure hidden in heaven for eternity. Mm. And it, 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 it shifts your perspective knowing my need has already been fulfilled in Jesus. And so I don't need to go out and have the nicest car or the nicest house or a, a vacation home or whatever it is. I need to go on that vacation or, or, you know, the list goes on and on of what people like. And you find contentment when your ultimate need is fulfilled. You find contentment in whatever you have, whether it's a lot or little. Mm-hmm. And then finally, it's bring a slingshot. So what are, what are the bring a slingshot things? Explain that, that verbiage. And then also, what does that mean for debt reduction? Yeah, bring a, a slingshot just simply means don't, don't. So this is where a lot of Christians frustrate me, right? Like they go on one side or the other. 
And some people say, well, I'm just banking on God to come through. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to wait for God. Cool. Mm-hmm. God hasn't shown up. It's his fault. That's what a lot of Christians mm-hmm. do. Or a lot of Christians go on the other side of like point number four, they bring a slingshot. They try to do everything on their own and they don't, if, it, if they succeed, they don't give God any credit. Or if they don't, it's just like, oh, I just got to keep trying harder and trying harder. And so mm-hmm. bringing a slingshot and banking on God's power, I think is the beautiful balance that David actually shows us in the story of he has enough faith to step before a giant that he can't conquer. So he's going to bank, God, I need you to come through or I'm going to lose this battle. Like I'm, this guy's going to kill me all day long. So I'm banking on you to come through. but. I'm also going to bring a practical weapon. I'm not going to show up to the fight without anything. And I'm going to actually watch you use my practical, my slingshot in a miraculous way. And so Mm -hmm. that's what God does, right? So we bank on God to fix our debt problem by creating budgets, by living in those budgets, by ripping up our credit cards. These are all practical steps that God uses in miraculous ways. And there's been times in my life where my finances haven't added up correctly because I've trusted in God. I've done the right things. And somehow, I don't know. There's this one time where I don't know how the numbers added up, but I had more than I should have had. And I, I don't know where it came from. I don't know. It was just the error my math or God just saying, boom, watch this. Like, it's just the way God works. He works in our slingshots, our practical steps of obedience to him. And sometimes he, he just miraculously multiplies it. It's what he did with David. I love that. And so if I'm a person, you know, trying to get out of debt, I'm believing in my own sinfulness, meaning I'm recognizing that my debt has spiritual implications. And so I need to look first in my own heart. I'm depending on God alone saying that in the end, this is something that he has to solve, not me. Um, I'm keeping my ultimate need in mind by remembering that in Christ, I have all that I need. And so I don't, my fight with debt could go on for the rest of my life. Or I could have all things or I could have nothing. But in the end, if I have Jesus, I'm enough. And then bring a slingshot is I'm not going to allow any of those things to um, I'm not going to allow any of those things to keep me from acting in a way that is practical and reasonable and helpful toward the solving of my problem. Right. So like to say it a little more succinctly is basically believe in my own sinfulness. You recognize I've got a problem here. My debt in most cases, and this is the case we're talking about is my problem. It's a hard issue. I want something that I don't necessarily need to, mm. Hey, I, um, number two is, man, I'm, I'm forgetting my own message. See, guys, depending on God alone, <laughs> depending on God alone, it's like the only person who can fix my heart condition is God. I can't do that. So even if mm. I see practical solutions, I need a heart change and God can do that. I can't. Three mm. is, you know, hey, I'm going to, man, what Keep is my th- ultimate need? <laughs> I just preached this message yesterday, folks. It's, it's gone. I'm, I'm moved on to the next one. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Ultimately, I'm, I'm going to recognize my ultimate need isn't things of this world. It's that the things that I want can't satisfy me. Only God can. And four, I'm going to do practical steps. I'm going to do what I can in ways that only I can to fix the problem while I watch mm-hmm. God work in miraculous ways. I love it. And those are, um, one question I have is like, the word gospel ends up meaning kind of like a broad range of things. Um, So I'm wondering how that uh, attention I wrestle through is how is that a gospel implication or a gospel 
how is that how is that an outworking of the gospel not an outworking of like a biblical worldview in general you know what i mean like how is it specifically tied to the power of the gospel well i think it, it it's tied to the power of the gospel because you can't do any of that apart from the gospel in the sense of the 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 gospel is the heart change that comes. And so mm-hmm. even when I talked about it on Sunday, I wasn't necessarily talking at it from a perspective of, you know, lead with the gospel is a lot of times when we face problems, it's us or us looking at someone else and leading with the the most powerful thing. Like when you go to fight something, it just makes sense to go with your most powerful weapon first, right? Mm-hmm. You, you got someone you know, breaking into your house, I'm not going to go get one of Malachi's toy hammers and start throwing at throwing it at him. It doesn't make sense. Sure. I'm going to go get, you know, a powerful weapon. And I just think we fight so many times with the toy weapons when God's given us a real weapon to fight with. Mm. That's great. And, and I'm, I'm totally on board. I, these questions are, are me just, you know, trying to figure out, make sure I understand what all these terms mean in these contexts. And because especially in, in Christian subculture, there's so many like gospel centered this and gospel centered everything, gospel centered parenting, gospel centered money, gospel centered church structure. God, you know, it's all gospel centered, but I, I sometimes wonder like to what degree or in what way is it t- connected to the gospel? And I hear what you're saying. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and the idea that you can't apply the gospel to a problem you aren't actively trying to solve ultimately helps resolve that tension of, am I doing it or is God doing it? Well, I'm, I'm showing up to problems, but I'm recognizing that what I'm showing up to those problems with is God's power and his truth. Um, and that's so, what David, isn't that what David did? I mean, David ultimately showed up to fight the mm-hmm. giant, but he needed God to intervene. Mm-hmm. And that's, I and, think that's how we have, go ahead. No, 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 you do it. I, I, I think ultimately that's kind of the view. It's this weird balance of, you know, something we don't understand with something we can do. Mm-hmm. See, I think I said that really nicely. That, well, dude, good thing we're recording. Good thing we're recording. <laughs> Say that again. Something we can't understand, which is the way God works and how he intervenes in our problems. Because sometimes he doesn't intervene. Sometimes we face a, a Goliath. And God doesn't come through, or at least the way we want him to. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's this balance of something we can't understand with something we can do. So mm-hmm. David knew someone's got to fight the giant, felt like God was calling him to. So he steps out in faith, brings his weapon, does what he can, and banks on God coming through. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what we have to do. And we do it not knowing if God is going to destroy the giant or not. I, I, I'm banking on the fact that David did this in faith, what didn't know if God was actually going to intervene or not. Yeah. And he's in a super weird point of his life, right? Because he's already been anointed King. He's Mm -hmm. the, he's the scrawny kid brother of all these dudes who are out at war. So he's only, he's there to bring them bread and cheese, right? Like he's not there to make a difference. He shows up, he's angered by the, you know, the defiant giant Goliath. So he's now in this weird spot where he's a, he's walking up to King Saul knowing God has already given me your job, but he doesn't say, dude, what's your problem? Like, why aren't you leading the way you should? He just says like, Hey, if no one's going to kill him, I'll do it. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're a little kid. And then he, he leads with his personal track record. He leads with bear, tried to kill my sheep, killed it. Lion tried to kill my sheep, killed it. And they're like, okay, fine. Well then here's some armor. He's like, no, I don't want any armor. And then he goes into like, I believe in the power of God to protect me. 
when, when the Philistine asks him, he talks about all about God's power, but he shows up with all of the skills he had developed as a shepherd with his sling ready to rock and roll. So like the whole story is this intermixing of he's in a weird tension of his life, knowing he's got a future that he can't quite cause to happen, interacting with the king who doesn't know that he's the future king. I, I don't know. It's like he has tons of turmoil in his life. And he's doing tons of personal preparation, but it all comes together in him walking up to say, you've defied the armies of the King of the Lord Almighty and you're going down. <laughs> so what would we call that person in our culture today? Crazy. Honestly, like I would be the first one to be like, look at this guy. What a moron. One, how many of us would actually go fight a battle like that knowing we've already been told we're going to be the future King of Israel? Like I'm not mm-hmm. sacrificing my kingdom and what's been given to me and go fight this giant that nobody else is going to fight. There's no way. Mm -hmm. And then for me to go do it without armor and a slingshot. mm. Yeah. And it is not, I I still will never understand why they let him do it because if they didn't have confidence, he would do it. What they were doing was sending. If I'm like the top warrior in Israel and I find out that there's this, by the way, obviously Saul, we know, culturally Saul should have been the guy like he should have been out on the front lines he's not doing it but if I'm like you know the the stated best warrior in Israel and I find out that like and I'm nervous I'm like I think I might be able to do it but I'm nervous so I'm not going to go after it and then I find out they're sending some punk kid I would have been like well then fine I'll go because if he loses we're all dead so like they put their fate and their future in the hands of a guy that none of them trusted. So I don't know that I ever, I'll, I don't think I'll ever understand that aspect of the story because that part makes no the, sense to me. He right. wasn't even in the army. Like he's just a random cheese boy bringing supplies. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a crazy story. And here's what's even interesting fact. Like you talk about the, the height of Goliath, right? Well, Saul, the guy who was supposed to fight, scripture says he was actually uh, like a head taller than everybody else in Israel. So like you think, okay, a giant should fight a giant. Well, the giant in Israel wasn't the guy who was actually supposed to go defend his kingdom, and he didn't. Right. So anyway, there's, there's, this story is, you know, has been much explored. And anyway, there's lots to learn there. But I, I love the, you know, the gospel implications on our everyday life and the fact that it's a multifaceted diamond that we'll never know all that we could about it. That quote's powerful. Um, but hey, we're getting near the end here. So I just want to ask, what's coming next? What, what do we need to look forward to in the next month or so? And, uh, where are you going to be the next few weeks? Yeah. So obviously we, something to look forward to, we got in person services still every Sunday. That's, I mean, one week was a great taste, but you know, getting back into that rhythm, I want to encourage everybody. This is, this is good for us being around people, you know, worshiping God. So let's continue to come. Obviously, you know, I understand that some people can't, so I'm not putting pressure on anybody to come. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you can't come. I'm just saying, Hey, if you're able, you can wear a mask. This is good for us to get out and and, and to worship and be together. That's why Mm -hmm. the church serves that way. Uh, September 12th is right around the corner, grand opening for both of our campuses at Rochester and uh, Webster. It is the official grand opening of the Webster campus. We're gonna have food trucks at both locations. I do hear there are some brunch food trucks. I've been talking to my assistant, and so maybe some brunch food after each service. Sounds fun. Be a great time to invite your friends. Uh, we're trying to continue to build this back into in-person services, so I'd love to have you there. The next couple of weeks, I'm gonna be in Webster, so I'm gonna be hanging out. I didn't get to see the new facility in action. I cannot wait. I'm like foaming at the mouth, bro, to get out there. So I'm gonna be out there the next couple of weeks because after a couple of weeks, I go back to preaching on a regular basis 
uh, come in the fall. And so, yeah, I'm going to be out and hang out with the people at Webster. So I can't wait to do that. Yeah. And the reason the next three weeks you're able to do that is we're starting a series um, called Living Pi Squared. And so it's going to be three weeks, one on pray, one on invest, one on invite. It'll go uh, Mark Nelson, then me, then Nate Miller um, leading into Labor Day. And then on Labor Day, actually, Daniel White, our executive director of kids ministry. I think that's his name, his title. I know his name is Daniel White. <laughs> I don't know what his title is. I never know anybody's title. But um, the guy who oversees kids ministry for all of our campuses is going to be speaking his first time speaking. We've already heard his first pre-preach. He did a great job. I think you guys should be super looking forward to that on Labor Day weekend. And then Drew's kicking off a series in the second week of September on that grand opening, uh, following a book called Prodigal God by uh, Tim Keller. Um, and that series is going to be awesome. Three-week series. If you've not read that book, you should read it in anticipation of that series. It's a quick read. Uh, it's a it's a one afternoon read if you if you sat down and just picked it up. So I'd really recommend it um, as we're getting ready for the fall. So. Drew, thanks for taking the time. We'll see you again in a couple of weeks when you rejoin the podcast. But uh, thanks for jumping on and thanks for leading us this weekend. Uh, grateful for you, man. Good seeing you, man. See you.